we're looking at Acts chapter 16, and we're reading verses 6 to 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now that passage is not usually used as a standalone passage, but I'm going to use it today as a, as a way of, of answering a question that I get asked a lot over the years. It's a question I have asked a lot. How do I know God's will? God's will is a, is a phrase we use a lot in church that, that if you're not familiar with it in this context, is really we're saying, what is God's purpose for us? What is it that God wants us to do? When we become Christian believers, we seek to do what God wants with our lives. We hope that God has got a calling on our lives. And then as we try to fulfill that calling, we hope and believe that God wants to direct that calling. And, and then a lot of times we find ourselves kind of scratching our heads, figuring, trying to figure out where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. Now, I have personally had that experience many times, actually. But, but I remember when that experience became less of a problem for me. I remember a watershed moment in my life when that experience of asking God, why won't you make it clear to me what your will is, and that God answered that for me. And what's really wonderful about our Lord is, is he always meets you where you are, and he always speaks to you in terms that make sense to you. Well, I want to tell you a story about how God spoke to me in terms that made sense to me, and how through that reasoning that made sense to me, I became a lot more comfortable with finding God's will and moving in faith toward whatever God wants for me to be and do. The fulfillment of what we witnessed in this passage, basically. So you're going to have to bear with me because the example I'm going to use is going to seem strange to you for church service at first, but if you stick with me all the way to the end, you'll see how it represents what we just witnessed in Scripture. So since I was a little bitty boy, like since I was just a toddler, I love trains. I love railroading. I always have. And I suppose it's because of where I grew up. And, you know, those things that influence you when you're very small, they kind of stick with you for the rest of your life. And I happen to be growing up and coming of age at a time when railroading was in transition and it was still a major industry in our country and I happened to grow up at a time and a place where it was highly visible and they say that when I was very small even before what I can remember I was always excited when a train came by and I just couldn't wait to watch them and be around them and and you know what I still love trains more than that I love railroading and, and railroading is more to me than just just uh, 
you know, tutus and, and toy trains and things. I mean, I'm fascinated by the whole process. I'm fascinated by the engineering and the operations and I'm, I'm fascinated by the machines and, and, the, and the amazing intellect and, and, uh, and, and the incredible achievements associated with railroading as much as the lore and the history of it. And so to say that I've read a lot of books, talked with a lot of railroaders and share, shared a lot of conversations with other people who, who share my interest would be an understatement. And if you come to visit my house, you won't have trouble figuring out pretty quickly that I like trains. There's railroad junk in my house everywhere. Railroad books, railroad pictures. People who love me always buy me new books and pictures about trains because they know I love trains. Well, I, I love the Lord more and I love my family more and I have lots of biblical material around my house too. But the truth is I do have creosote in my blood, I think, and that's what they treat railroad ties with, by the way. And so it shouldn't surprise you that at the moment when I was trying to decide whether I should put my family in great peril and begin to pursue this ministry calling that seemed to be on my life, I was desperate for God to give me clear direction. And it just wasn't coming. And I just didn't know for sure because everything in me said, this is dumb. This is insane. You've got... You've got five children, two with spina bifida. You've got a mortgage. Your wife can't work because she's got to take especially good care of those two with disabilities. And, and, and you want to go live in a parsonage? You want to go serve a church as a pastor? This is insane. And, and don't you know, there's plenty of people around me who were ready to tell me what an insane idea that was. But you know, I kept saying, Lord, just show me your will. And, and as a sort of a retreat from the stress, a friend of mine invited me to go on a little outing with him to observe some railroad action that would be disappearing. And again, I don't want to make this about trains and the love of trains, but I can just tell you that, that railroading has changed so much that if you care about it, you've got to stop and take a look once in a while because it changes so fast that names and paint jobs and things that you used to see all the time and buildings and structures you used to see all the time, they just disappear. And so he and I were on this outing, you know, to, to, to observe some of these things, take a few pictures of stuff. And, and I was sitting there in a quiet moment looking at a railroad signal, waiting for it to change so that I would know that the train we wanted to take a picture of was getting closer. And as I was staring up at this railroad signal, I was praying, Lord, please, if I don't come back from this trip with an answer, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to figure out what to do here. I need you to give me some direction. And, and then I watched as the signal changed to a different aspect, meaning that the train I was waiting for was coming closer. It dawned on me, just literally dawned on me, like all of a sudden it became clear. So I'm going to teach you a little bit about railroading here so that you can see how the Lord taught me how to move like Paul and his friends did in this passage we just did, that we just read. So when a railroad crew gets into a train at the terminal point to move the train from where it starts to where it's going, there are certain things that have been established. The crew is typically a minimum of three people. There's the operator, or what we call the engineer in this country, and then there's the conductor, who's the boss, 
And then there's an invisible partner, partner or team member who is the dispatcher. This is the person that's on the other end of the radio phone that they use in the cab of the locomotive. At least one of the people on that crew is very familiar with the line ahead, the one they're getting ready to roll on. They've been on it many, many times and they know all of its little nuances and its inherent hazards. And so at least one of those people has that going for them and usually it's the leader. But oftentimes the whole crew is very, very familiar. And when they get ready to proceed, it's already been established according to a timetable when they're gonna depart and where they're going. And all of the tracks have been aligned so that they can go where they're supposed to go in the timetable. Now, each person in the crew is familiar with the timetable and each person is familiar with the rule book. And no one would be permitted to operate something as dangerous as a 100-car train carrying all sorts of things, including hazardous materials, through precious woodlands, precious communities and cities and tunnels and bridges if they weren't competent to operate the equipment within the established rules and according to established procedures. So that's a given. The next given is, is that they all have a working knowledge of the rule book and they all understand the timetable, the schedule. Then there is the person who is ultimately in charge of their movement, and that's the dispatcher, the invisible part of their team. And so the leader, the conductor, is the most likely to be the one in touch with the dispatcher. And when the dispatcher gives them permission to proceed and the signal indicates that they can, then they begin to move the train from one place to another, operating according to the signs and the signals along the way. Now, signs are placed there by a person called the road foreman who's in charge of making sure that they have thoroughly examined the railroad line and made sure that the signs indicate the proper way to operate on any given part of the road ahead. In other words, the signs represent a hands-on, on-the-ground, skilled observation of the road ahead. And the signals are designed to respond either to input from the dispatcher or to local input that could be caused by some sort of disruption to the flow of electrical energy. In other words, if there's an obstruction on the track ahead or if the track is damaged by a washout or uh, some sort of, of falling rock or some sort of falling tree, well then the signal would respond to that. And so the crews move according to the signs within the posted speed limits, according to certain restrictions that have been established. And by the timetable, they know, for example, that they're going to pull into a certain siding along the way and they're not to move again until the train that's coming from the other direction is completely past them and the signals change and the dispatcher gives them permission to proceed. And when all of this goes according to plan, it's a thing of beauty. And commerce happens, and millions of tons of, of commodities get moved from one place to another, and, and, and it's remarkable. But then sometimes things that are unexpected happen, and so that obstruction, for example, appears on the, on the uh, railroad tracks, or sometimes the signal just indicates that. And so the 
crew approaches a signal that's telling them to slow down or stop and recognizing that it isn't consistent with the timetable, they call the dispatcher because that's what the rule book tells them to do whenever you encounter something you weren't expecting and it is giving you a warning to slow down or stop, you call a dispatcher. That's what the rule book says. And then when you call a dispatcher, the, rule, the dispatcher says, well, you know, as far as I know, there's nothing on the line ahead of you. So we're going to assume that that signal is indicating something that I don't know about or that you are going to have to investigate. Then the dispatcher says something like, proceed according to rule number XYZ123, right? which says something along the lines of go slow so you can stop in case you run into something that you know would cause your train to derail. <laughs> I mean that that's the rule. And if you get to the other end of the block and you come to a green signal, then call the dispatcher and tell them something must be wrong with the last signal because I didn't find any problems along the way and then the dispatcher sends the road foreman or a signal maintainer to take care of it. All right, there's your railroad education. I'll see if I can tie all this together for you. Because this is, this is what the Lord told me in language that made sense to me. He said, look, Dan, you know me because we talk all the time. And, and you know the, the timetable because, well, you've been paying attention. And you know how I operate. And you know what the plan is. And you've been listening to Scripture. And you've listened to good teaching and so forth. And, and so you know the timetable. And you read your Bible. So you know the rule book. So what if the only reason you're not acting right now is because you're afraid? And what if I'm asking you to step out in faith and just proceed with the confidence that you understand the timetable, you're familiar with the rule book, and I'm just a phone call away. And there will be signs and signals along the way that you should know how to interpret, but if you don't, there are people that I've aligned you with who do know these things because they're very familiar with the way ahead. Well, gosh, when I started thinking about it that way, all of a sudden I thought, oh, I guess the only reason I haven't said yes to this opportunity is because... As I said in the first service with a lot of laughter coming afterwards because I was spiritually constipated. Because I was all bunged up waiting for God to make it easy for me. Well, where's the faith in that? Why should we assume that God is going to make everything easy for us? if the whole purpose of our spiritual journey is to grow in love and faith. Maybe what the Lord is saying to you today, as he said to me so long ago, is, look, first thing I want you to do is align yourself with people who know the way, who are familiar with the road ahead. Maybe for you, that's me. Maybe the pastor standing up here sort of being our conductor and saying, I, I know this road. And I can tell you that there are certain things you can always expect along this part of the journey. The other thing that you can be sure of is, is that if you pray often, read scripture, and understand the timetable, do the things you're seeing in this crazy year of 2020 really surprise you? 
Were you really thinking that there would never be times like this? I wasn't. I'm not saying I'm enjoying it any more than you are, but none of this surprises me. These are things that the scripture said we could expect to see. And so I'm not surprised by that. And history or my experience and the combination of knowledge and experience informs me that this is all pretty typical for this stretch of the road. And so when you're trying to determine what God's will for you is, realize that in all likelihood you're on the track you're supposed to be traveling. If you're not, then there should be a pretty clear warning sign. And maybe you're just ignoring it. I've done that one before. I can reflect on history of mine where I was doing something or being associated with something that I didn't really think was part of God's plan and the warning signs were just screaming at me. And when I finally gave up my pride and said, okay, Lord, I heard the no. (laughs) I just didn't want to hear the no, but I finally gave up and listened to the no. And it was always better as soon as that happened. So what happened in this passage is that Paul, being the senior member of the crew and the most uh, uh, familiar, that is to say, with the road ahead and and the one who knew Scripture, because, you know, Paul described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the Scriptures and he knew Jesus. So he was in close relationship with the dispatcher. He was in contact with the boss, every time it required it, which was all the time. And, and he knew the timeline. He understood that this was all part of Jesus' command to take the good news from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the world. And Paul understood that. And he understood that where he was going or where he thought he should be going was all part of the timeline. And so the little things that happened along the way to say, no, don't go this way, The little things that changed because of signals and signs that caused him to move in another direction. And then when he gets his big green light, right, his green light was a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come here. And there's no obstructions, and so off they go. See, that's faith in action. And the problem most of us have is, is that we don't have enough faith to carry on with what it appears to be that God is doing in our lives. Because we keep waiting for God to make it easy. And God, I suppose, from God's point of view, is saying, how much easier can I make it? That's how I felt when I went into ministry. After we made that decision and moved into the first parsonage and and took our little newborn baby with spina bifida into that parsonage and she was so small I could hold her in the palm of my hand and and we're living in this parsonage and I'm going I don't know how to pastor a church (laughs) and and yet it was it was easy because he was in charge and all I had to do was proceed that's all you've got to do as you go through this next week you're going to see all kinds of things that are going to to frighten you, but, but ask yourself if your life being dedicated to God is going in the direction that God wants it to go. And if you're not seeing all kinds of obstacles to what you want for your flesh, then my guess is, is that you're moving in the right direction. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. 
And I hope, Lord, that for everyone who's thrown all that stuff on the altar that needed to be there, that there is now rushing into the void where those things they gave up once were. There's something rushing in there that is entirely from your spirit so that their lives are feeling directed and led, not so much with clarity that makes it easy, but with faith to proceed. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.